This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Missing is produced by What's the Story Sounds. They also make lots of other great content, which I think you might like. Why not sign up for What's the Story Crime? On there, you'll find series including The Missing completely ad-free, as well as bonus content and even entire series you can't hear elsewhere. Signing up is super easy. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. Small towns can be tight-knit communities. Anyone who's grown up in one will tell you. Everyone knows everyone's business. Whether it's the regulars in the local pub or the postman on the morning rounds, gossip can spread quickly. News is rarely kept secret, and strangers will often find there's someone keeping an eye on them. These small towns can be a place of comfort and safety for the people who live there. But when things go wrong, well, that can shake a small town to its very core. Everybody kind of rallies together because it's like one big family, you know, everybody knows everybody. You don't hear of people just vanishing off, off the earth, you know, in a small rural village. There's not many places you can go. I'm Pandora Sykes and you're listening to The Missing. 
a podcast series brought to you with support from the charity Missing People and investigation specialists Locate International. They believe that all of the cases in this series could still be solved. This is The Missing, Fiona Sinnott. She was uh, very friendly. Everybody wanted to be friends with her. She was very kind-natured as well. That's Gina remembering her cousin Fiona. Although it's 23 years since the two last saw each other, it's clear that Fiona left a deep imprint on her family with her bubbly personality and her uninterruptible happy spirit. She loved the arts. She loved performing and we used to have it was called the tops of the parish where she would perform and dance that's how we remember like singing and laughing and joking around and stuff like that dancing performing fiona liked to be at the center of things and if there was nothing going on well fiona would do something about it i remember myself diane and fiona we were down in Neamstown and there was a group of boys staying in a mobile home so like Fiona thought it'd be funny to like make herself seven foot tall so she got up on Diane's shoulders and got a big long coat and put the coat over her shoulders so which meant that herself and Diane were covered and it just looked hilarious and the boys thought it was hilarious as well. The girls grew up in Kilmulkey, a small village in South Wexford in Ireland. It was a small close community a fishing village, a place where Fiona felt safe. The year was 1996. Fiona was 15 years old and had just found herself her first boyfriend. She got into her first real relationship at 15 and a half um, to a, a much older man. Her boyfriend was nine years older than her, age 24, and Fiona moved out of the family home to go and live with him. They moved to Wexford Town, 18 miles away, close enough to meet with her family, but not so close that they'd see her every day. She was adamant she wanted to move out. She wanted to be free. She wanted to be independent. Shortly after Fiona left the family home, she became pregnant. And Gina remembers the infectious excitement that Fiona felt about it. She was excited. She was really excited, you know, about having a child and all. And she started to perk up a bit because she actually thought, you know, having a child now would probably help their relationship. Despite her young age, she'd already decided all the hobbies she thought her child would have and where Fiona thought she'd work when her baby grew up. Fiona had even decided what she thought the baby would do when it grew up. When she found out she was pregnant, she was very excited and she was making plans for the future. And like, Fiona loved darts and like playing darts. And she was saying that like the whole family are dart players and she wanted Emma to be a dart player as well and like do all the things that Fiona was interested in. And like she had mentioned she wanted to become a chef and like she'd like to have her own business and herself and Emma would run it and just and, like she had plans, like she definitely made definite plans for her and Emma in the future. When her baby girl was born, any concerns about her being isolated from the family with her new man were put in their place. She was born 
to be a mommy because when Emma was born, she was she was so happy. Like you could see that spark in her eye had come back. Um, she was happier in herself. It was like her life had, had like she's been given purpose. She was she was just great. Like any photographs that we have of Fiona and Emma, she has a smile on her face in every single one. We know that it's probably one of the biggest achievements that she she had ever done was was have a baby of her own and she wanted to raise it the way she was raised in a loving stable environment with no raised voices and things like that she had done very very well for someone who was 17 giving birth to a baby for Gina and the family it was clear that Fiona loved every second of being a mum she never left the child out of her sight but she always made that effort to bring Emma down to visit her maternal grandparents and her aunts and uncles. And that was probably one of the highlights of their week because they didn't drive either. So they lived for that weekly visit with uh, Fiona and Emma. But when baby Emma was a few months old, Fiona and her boyfriend moved again to Broadway, which was further away again. Without a car, Fiona found it trickier to keep up the regular visits to her family. My parents were getting really worried at this stage because she was so young, you know, moving out, like, you know, and then having a child and all then again, like, and, you know, when she away from home and her visits was getting, you know, less frequent. My parents and us, we used to have to make the effort of going visiting her and, she just wasn't herself, so we, we were getting worried and we knew there was stuff going on behind closed doors. Fiona's family used to meet once a week for dinner in Wexford Town. It was a routine you could set your watch by, and the ladies rarely missed it. So when Fiona didn't turn up one week, it was out of character. It was 1998, and mobile phones weren't yet commonplace. Simply letting your family know you were running late or had other plans, wasn't quite so simple. There were plenty of potential reasons why Fiona might be absent. Nevertheless, the family went to check. They visited her at her home. And there Fiona was. She seemed subdued. Something wasn't right. At least that's what the family thought. We were getting very worried, and my father and mother and I were just, you know, begging her to come back home. Fiona ultimately decided to stay. Gina believes that had the situation occurred today, things might have turned out differently. If something like that were to happen today, we'd have so many options, like we have social media, we have landlines, we have mobile phones. Like back then, I think in my heart that if she had an opportunity to call someone when something was happening behind closed doors, she would have if she had had that opportunity to make a phone call to her family or one of her friends to say, look, come pick me up, something's after happening, um, or she's struggling, I think things would have been a lot different because when you get to a certain point mentally that you can't cope, you do rely on family and friends, but she couldn't have that option because she didn't have any way of communicating. The relationship that Fiona had with her boyfriend wasn't solid. She wasn't herself. And four months after moving to their new home in Broadway, the relationship was effectively over. 
she decided she had enough at this stage she wanted to make better life choices for herself but she wanted to make it easy for him to have access to Emma as well so she did decide to move down closer to where he lived so he could help her with Emma as well. After the breakup Fiona sought help from her GP to help her deal with the downswing in mood she'd been experiencing. She wanted to move on and she wanted to be happy. She had gone to the doctor and she was prescribed antidepressants to be able to cope. Towards the end, though, she, she was starting to come around herself, though, wasn't she? She was like she started to be herself a little bit. Like the antidepressants were obviously working. And she, she started to come back to her normal self again, from what we know. Fiona's family still worried that she was so far from them. Back then, there was no street lighting near her and no reliable bus routes either. She had nobody. Like she was like secluded in where she was living. She was living on backcountry lanes. She'd either have to walk or get, or like she had a push bike cycle to places that she wanted to go. Like, and don't forget, she had a child as well. So, like, it was a lot of walking in the pram. Like, she was very secluded to where she was. Then, one very normal weekend, everything changed. It was a Friday, and Fiona travelled to the nearby town of Rosslare with some friends. They went to a hotel, the Tusker Rock Hotel, to catch up and have a drink. And while they were there, Fiona got talking to a Welsh lorry driver in town overnight, who was due to catch a ferry down to Fishguard the next day. Exactly what happened that night isn't certain, but Fiona liked his company and walked with him back towards his cab. She wasn't even in his cab 10 minutes when there was banging on the door and someone outside was uh, shouting Fiona get out get out here now and it was then when Fiona had said to the driver that's my ex he just won't leave me alone outside it's claimed Fiona's ex-partner was making a scene but according to the lorry driver He was fearful of Fiona that he decided to unhook the trailer of the cab and drive Fiona home to where she was actually living at the time because he didn't want to, like her to leave the lorry either because he was fearful because he had witnessed this man outside banging and trying to get her out of the cab that he did decide to drive her to her village and let her off. Nobody really knows what transpired the next day. But on the Sunday, Fiona had made arrangements with the same group she went to Rosslare with to meet at Butler's Pub in Broadway. I'd say it was about a little after nine o'clock that night and I answered the phone and it was Fiona on the phone and she was telling me, goes, is Seamus home, which is our older brother. And I said, yeah, he's up in the bed. And Fiona said, will you just go upstairs and tell him to come down to Butler's to me? Seamus said, oh no, I can't, I can't because I'm going fishing all hours in the morning. And Fiona begged me, she goes, please, please, Diane, go up and tell Seamus to come down to Butler's. Tell him that there's a good, there's a good band down here, there's good music, please. I said, Fiona, like, Seamus said he's, he's not going down to Butler's. But she was practically begging me to get Seamus to go to Butler's that night. Why did Fiona want Seamus to go to Butler's? 
Why was she so insistent? Diane wasn't worried about Fiona's request at the time. It seemed like she just wanted her brother to join her on a fun night out in the local pub. But when Fiona put the phone down... She said, I'll see you in the morning. And that was it. That's the last time that we ever spoke to her. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. It was February the 8th, 1998. A bitterly cold, pitch-black night. Nothing unusual there for Ireland in the winter months. Fiona was in butlers with friends but not with Seamus. And as the night drew towards a close, she decided it was time to leave. She was seen by the barman at um, ten past midnight where she purchased two bags of um, peanuts and she had walked out. According to the people that were in the pub, she walked out alone. From the pub to Fiona's house, it would have taken her about 40 minutes to walk, in the night air, in the dark. But after asking for those two bags of nuts under the glare of the light of the pub bar, presumably to eat on the way home. Fiona was never seen again. Fiona had told her sister that she'd see them in the morning. She'd pop in on the way to an appointment she had. Though when she didn't turn up or pop in, there wasn't too much alarm. The next morning came and we were... You know, Mummy and Daddy was waiting for Fiona to pop in before she went down to the doctors and there was there was no sign of her. And we didn't we didn't think of nothing either back then. We just probably thought, oh, she didn't bother going to the doctor. Then Fiona didn't turn up for their weekly dinner meeting. When she didn't meet us, 
like just the routine that we did every single week and she didn't meet us in the restaurant again you know we thought we thought like oh maybe you know something came up it wasn't until the second friday dinner fiona missed that the alarm was raised she also didn't collect her money from the local post office we knew there was something up and my father um contacted um our local guarded at the time he went down to his house and he said look i'm sensing something is wrong here he said i haven't seen my daughter in nearly two weeks so the local guard then took it over took it over then and just and then she was reported missing two weeks in hindsight leaving it that long to report fiona missing did nothing for the investigation but there was no initial reason to panic. If only they'd known something was wrong, the family would have reported things sooner. Those what-ifs and if-onlys, they're par for the course when a loved one goes missing. Every family has them, and they never go away. The family hoped that perhaps Fiona had just wanted to get away and start afresh with her daughter. But even that hope was short-lived. Even if she had taken off, we knew she would have made a phone call. She would have let us know that, you know, I'm down here. Or I, I just, I've just got away for a week. And then baby Emma was found without Fiona. When we found out that Emma was with her paternal grandmother, that was a huge shock because I think that kind of cemented in our own minds then that something drastically had happened because Fiona wouldn't of her own accord, have left a child behind. Her first priority was Emma, and always was Emma. So her leaving Emma behind didn't make sense because it's not something that she would have done. We just knew there was something wrong, and she would not have left a child behind. She would have took Emma with her. We just knew that there was something wrong. Normally, Fiona would have Emma Monday to Friday. Then Emma would go to her paternal grandparents for the weekend so Fiona could work. Gina and Diane don't know why the alarm wasn't raised when Fiona didn't collect Emma, as usual, on Monday. But they think the lack of communication between the two families may be to blame. Another critical detail, another piece of this puzzle, is that after Fiona left the pub that Sunday night, at around half past 12, a couple in a car claimed they heard a woman scream. But again, this wasn't communicated at the time. This couple didn't come forward until seven years later, I, I, I think, because they were both married to different people at the time. So they didn't come forward immediately. Secrets, rumours, gaps in the story. Again, these things are familiar in every missing persons case. So are sightings. And for Fiona there was a key sighting that came via a local man. It was a long time after, like, a lot of the appeals had gone out. Um, a man, a local driver, had got in contact with the guardie to say that he saw a man and a woman arguing. And close to these two people were two males. One was in his late teens and one was in his early 20s. But they didn't know whether it was all linked the two boys were, two younger chaps, were just standing around a 
couple of feet away from this man and a woman who were arguing. Was this Fiona? Who was she arguing with? And could it be key to her disappearance? As a matter of routine, Fiona's ex-partner was spoken to by police to see if he could shed any light on Fiona's last movements. Crucially, he admitted to seeing her that night. He told police that he had walked Fiona home from Butler's pub and that when they arrived back at her house, she had gone straight to bed and he had slept on the couch. The next morning, before he left at around 9am, he went to see Fiona upstairs, who told him she had a doctor's appointment. He said he gave her £3 for a taxi and then left. But checks revealed that Fiona never did visit the doctor the following day. And when we rang the doctors, the doctor said they'd never seen Fiona. So police had a 15-hour period where something happened. She was alive at 10pm leaving Butler's. But she didn't arrive at 2pm the following day for her doctor's appointment. They could trace her likely whereabouts for those 15 hours, walking back from the pub, at her home, and then on the way to the doctor's. But somewhere along that 15-hour timeline, something had happened. In the midst of this crisis, the small town banded together in the search for Fiona. Everybody does look out for everybody, and especially when it comes to neighbours as well. I know when she had gone missing first, when we had found out, like obviously it was almost two weeks, it was ten days, um, the whole community went out and started looking and, you know, it was nice to see. That's, that's what happens when you've got a small community. Like everybody kind of rallies together because it's like one big family, you know, everybody knows everybody. And I suppose when this all happened, it was, it was shocking because it's, Something we would have seen on the television in different countries, but you don't hear it. In, well, back then you don't, but it's it's more prevalent now. But you don't hear of people just vanishing off the earth, you know, in a small rural village. You know, just there's not many places you can go, you know. Early on in the search, the community scoured all of Wexford for Fiona. We got the whole lake. There was a big, there was a big lake where Fiona was renting, and we got the whole lake of Our Lady's Island drained. And my father just stood at the gate and with his hands on his hips, just waiting. And the lake itself is huge, and the fact that they drained it, like we thought, well, maybe they have evidence to suggest that she's there because you wouldn't do something as like as big as that. If, if you're not going on any kind of tip-off or evidence. But standing on the water's edge was, was soul-destroying because, like, any time a diver came up, you were half expecting them to have her body. And, like, and then going back down again, like, there was weeks upon weeks that life just stopped. We were just standing, like, looking out where they were draining and, and hoping that they'd, like, retrieve her, but they never did. The days ticked by. Like the lake itself, the hope and belief that Fiona would come home or be found safe and well drained away. The whole family and friends and neighbours, everybody was just out searching every single day, looking in ditches, fields, digging up whole Wexford, <laughs> looking for her. 
like those first couple of weeks, like nobody could eat, nobody could sleep because the only thing you were thinking about was like getting her home. For the police, sadly, this was an all too common occurrence. Fiona's disappearance wasn't the only one to hit that part of Ireland. In fact, she's one of at least eight missing women from that area in the 1990s. All of those women were aged between their late teens and their 30s. All of them had few clues or sightings to help direct a search. And all of them were out of character. Unexplained disappearances. Fiona was the seventh of the women to go missing. And it led the community, indeed much of Ireland, to wonder if there was a serial killer on the loose. The media dubbed it the Vanishing Triangle. Police offered a reward for information. But no evidence has ever come to light to formally link the cases. Fiona may have been harmed by someone responsible for other disappearances. Or her case may be isolated. The police simply don't know. But in 2005, nearly seven years after Fiona disappeared, there was a change in the case. Police moved it from a missing persons investigation to a murder inquiry. Six arrests were made in the community of people suspected of being involved or of withholding information. But there was insufficient evidence to bring any charges. And that remains the case today. No formal suspects. No charges. Insufficient evidence to show what happened to Fiona. And of course, no body. But for the years that Fiona had been missing, the family have refused to leave the search to others, even the guardie. The weight of responsibility meant they had to be proactive, and they tried to make progress in any way that they could. Basically, we decided to set up a Facebook page for, I suppose, a bit like a hotline that if anyone had information that they didn't want to go to the guardie and wanted to pass on to the family themselves, that option was there. And in 2013, that Facebook page resulted in a lead. A lady I'd gotten in contact said that um, where she lives, slightly down where Fiona used to um, be a waitress in a pub, she had said that there was works being carried out on a house across the road from her by Fiona's ex-partner. And she thought it was something that we could look into because the house was being, it was going to be sold. And she was afraid that if it was sold that we wouldn't have our opportunity to look Without any evidence to grant a warrant or due cause to make the house a dig site, the police couldn't take action. So the family took matters into their own hands. Because our time was running out, the house was going to be sold and the land was going to be sold with it. We had no option but to dig ourselves, so we formed a group within the family, got some money together, hired out a big JCB. It might sound like a drastic measure, but the family were desperate, and the information they'd been given revealed something very specific. A location where a body might be. What we were actually looking for was a septic tank at the time, because this was what was being put in. 
the week Fiona had gone missing and it was suggested that there was a, a hole had been dug on the Friday for the septic tank. The position of the tank was marked out on planning permission documents for the property. But when the family excavated the area, they found nothing. There was no septic tank, nothing where it ought to be. But still the family didn't give up. They brought in a search specialist, someone they hoped could explain why a septic tank might be missing. He came down for the weekend and within, I think it was the first hour, the dogs had alerted on the septic tank. The expert had found the septic tank in a different location. The family thought this was strange and they feared it might signal something sinister. So when we found out where it was, we got the digger in. We dug down, um, retrieved a septic tank, dug underneath, and it was decided that inside of the septic tank needed to be checked just in case, like just in case there was any jewellery or anything like that. Like, If Fiona had ended up in the septic tank, the family knew there might not be much left to find, but they couldn't rule it out. So they took the extraordinary step of physically searching inside the tank, sending a family member to go and look for anything that might be inside. But the family's dogged pursuit of answers proved fruitless. There was nothing in the tank that suggested anything had happened. No trace of Fiona or anything belonging to her. Perhaps the information the family received was a red herring. Perhaps it was well-intentioned rumour or gossip. Perhaps it was true. The family are none the wiser. Yeah, we definitely thought we were going to find her because the witness that came forward, she like she was very credible in what she saw. And it's like a jigsaw piece when you put all the pieces together. It's a complete jigsaw. Like we thought the last bit of the jigsaw was to pull up the septic tank and there she was, but she wasn't there. With their only credible lead now disproved, Fiona's family have hit a wall. They believe they know what happened to Fiona, even if they can't be sure who was responsible. But they have no way of proving it. They feel the loss of Fiona and the burning frustration of not having answers every single day. We were always hoping, hoping that this is it, you know, we'd find her. As the years are going, every year, like, it's just, we're just living in hope. And we do believe that there's people here in Wexford know what happened to my sister that night. So what is the one thing that would mean the most to her family now? The thing that would bring peace? Or, at the very least, resolution? Fiona's cousin Gina explains. Resolution. Like for to be an end of this absolute nightmare for for her whole family because you can't like as much as like people say oh well you'll have closure you won't really have closure because you still have to deal with the fact that she was murdered and hidden away for 23 years if she was found now of course we don't know if fiona has been murdered at all there's no proof that she has Police did change the status of the investigation into a murder inquiry in 2005, but nobody has ever been charged. And with no body, there's no proof that Fiona is even dead. I do believe the resolution of 
not having those questions in your mind where is she will we ever get her back and like that question alone is is hard because we 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 want to believe that someday we will get her back like thousands of families around the world like we're missing loved ones we want to believe that there's hope and i think like we've been holding on to hope for so long that i think it just needs to happen 12 years ago fiona's family commissioned a plaque to be put up in honor of fiona's 30th birthday the plaque was to be placed nearby the pub where she was last seen the unveiling ceremony was due to take place on sunday but that morning Gina received a phone call. Someone had actually gone through the trouble of taking this plaque off the wall just to annoy us. For no other reason but just to annoy us because they still have that control. And whoever took that plaque has something to do with Fiona Gomez and whether they're directly responsible or they're holding, withholding information and they know who's responsible or where, or where she is. So we got a second plaque commissioned just in time for the ceremony. So the ceremony went ahead. The second plaque was stolen a couple of weeks later. Who took down the plaque and why? What harm was it doing? Taking it down was a heartbreaking blow for the family. Like the fact that you're not even allowed to have a plaque to honour her memory. The fact that she had gone missing from the pub right beside to where the plaque was actually put up. Like that just shows the, the calibre of people you're dealing with. Someone who doesn't really care how it affects the family when you can't even have somewhere to go. Eventually the family put up a plaque in the seaside town where all three girls grew up. That plaque remains there to this day. They cherish it. Gina and Diane still hold out hope that one day someone who knows something about Fiona's disappearance will come forward. The investigation was never closed, which I, I think it's, it's a good thing because it just proves that, you know, eyes are still looking at it um, within the guards at force. But I suppose there's a number of ways that people can get in contact. You can contact Wexford local guard station. You can contact Missing um, and Ireland Support Services who are on Facebook who offer support to missing families, you can contact us directly on Fiona's Facebook page, which is um, Fiona Sinnott Missing. You can contact us through Gmail, which is whereisfiona at gmail.com. You can contact a local priest and give a letter anonymously. Like, there's so many ways. You can tell someone, that, like, even if you don't want to come forward yourself to us, tell someone who is actually willing to come forward with the information because we need to put this to bed. We want, really want to have her back, give her a proper decent burial for everybody's sake. It's hard, mentally it's hard living with something like this. She was a human being with feelings and you know, she was 19 years of age when she went missing. Like, there's not one thing that she could have done in her life that deserved what happened to her. In many cases, it takes just one piece of information to lead police or family to the answers they need. If you know what happened to Fiona, if you saw her after she left the pub that Sunday night in February 1998, your information could be vital. 
Even if you've never been to Ireland, never heard of Fiona Sinnott before listening to this episode, you could still help. We've put the details of this case on our website, themissingpodcast.org. On there, you'll find images and details, not just for this case, but for every case we featured on the show. There's also links where you can share vital information on these cases with the experts at Locate International. They've set up a team to investigate these cases and explore any information that comes in. And you'll find more information about the charity Missing People, who work tirelessly to support the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you've been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.